Welcome, everyone. Nice to see everybody tonight. So we have one more class in the series. We'll end next week with week seven. I'll be leaving on retreat on the 25th. For I'll be gone for five weeks uh, on retreat and also leading a retreat out at Spirit Rock and then spending a few days visiting uh, my mother-in-law. And I'll be back on the 30th. So a number of of our other leaders, teachers in the community, teaching not the Buddhist studies class, but the other practice groups during the next several weeks. So you might tune into that. That will be announced in the next weekly email, all those people. So we're not going to spend too much time on the fourth noble truth, because for those who've been doing the Buddhist studies classes, the previous class was on the Eightfold Path, which is what the Fourth Noble Truth is. So just to remind ourselves, we're looking, really, as I mentioned at the end of the guided meditation, all of the different trainings we do can be seen as creating enough steadiness, clarity, kindness in the mind, so that the mind can wisely, fearlessly, kindly be right in the middle of the swirl of life, daily life, formal sitting practice, right in the middle, aware of how it is that the experience of being a suffering being arises and how it is that that experience of feeling like I'm a suffering being, I'm tight, I'm stressed, I'm upset, I'm mad, I'm hurting, how that ceases. So that we become literally experts on how it is that this person, becomes a suffering, entangled, caught up being, and how it is that this person realizes freedom from that. We have to understand the causes, like the Buddha says, the proximate cause, the fundamental cause for suffering is not seeing it, not understanding it. We haven't made it our teacher. We've been too busy running from it or trying to fix it, trying to fix the experience of suffering by getting what we think we want or need or getting rid of what we think we need to get rid of. We, It just hasn't occurred to us to develop the skill, the capacity to be interested and steady, interested, curious, patient, so that the experience of suffering gets revealed, like how it comes to be and how it ceases. And so the Four Noble Truths as a map, a teaching, it's really breaking down that experience of the insights that arise when the mind is steady and taking up as the appropriate object of awareness how it is that suffering is arising, stress is arising, and when it's ceasing, how it is that the suffering, the stress is ceasing. How is it, like today, guessing that each of us in our own particular way, ways, we've had moments of stress, being the heart being bound up in one way or another, hopefully not now, so that somehow we got from that moment of being bound up to a moment of not being bound up as much. So what was that natural process of unbinding? What was it? 
Well, we probably weren't really there for the unbinding, not aware of it as a natural experience or process that could be, the mind could be aware of if it had taken it up as its theme. You know, it's like awareness theme. This is what's relevant. Instead, we were concerned about other things, the evening news or, you know, whatever else that was going on for us. So now we're moving into the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering, tonight and next week. And we'll have small groups tonight, so keep in mind as I'm talking and as questions come up or comments come up, what might be relevant to share. And of course, anything, excuse me, having to do with all 12 of these insights is relevant. And I I recommend you memorize these 12 insights. It's pretty easy. It's not complicated. Because if you can remember the four noble truths, dukkha, the cause, the end, and the way to the end, then you can probably remember the 12 insights because there's three for each of the noble truths. So when what's relevant for us is the experience of stress, then the three insights is one, just recognizing that there is stress, that's an insight. Because we can be suffering or stressed and be completely oblivious to that fact. Everybody around us might know we're stressed, but we wouldn't. Have you noticed, like with partners and good friends, we we often will go to someone who's a good friend, how are you doing? But what we're really saying is, I'm intuiting that you're not doing so well. Have you noticed? <laughs> but when someone says that to us, like, how are you doing? It's uh, It's a little insulting because they're interrupting our delusion often. We don't want to know that we're upset or that we're off in some way. That, And so when somebody in a sincere way, asks, you know, how are you doing? Uh, It can be a little bit, I I notice I can be a little fiery or like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want you to (laughs) say that to me. Please don't say that again. (laughs) (laughs) How insulting, you know, to have revealed to us that we're pretending it's a certain way when it's not that way. And how embarrassing it is to have to protect or have to defend our delusion. You know, I'm fine. It's like, we're not fine. And we don't really want to have to pretend that we're fine to other people. We just want to, you know, want to be safe in our whatever sort of distraction or delusion we're in. So the... Buddha's words around this third noble truth. Oh, so let me just remind you of the 12. So then with each, there is dukkha. It should be understood. It has been understood. So to remember the three there, it's about understanding the experience of dukkha. For the second, it's about abandoning. So there is a cause. It should be abandoned. It has been abandoned. For the third, the word to remember is realized. There is the experience of cessation, no grasping in the heart. This should be realized, it has been realized. And then 
the, for, for the fourth noble truth, it's the word to remember is developed. There is a way, a path. It should be developed. It has been developed. So understand dukkha, abandon the cause, realize the experience of cessation or freedom, develop the way, the way of being that leads to experiences of cessation, right? So it's relatively easy to remember those four. And this is the entire path. We don't really need any additional reflections. They all, whatever else you learn about the Buddhist teachings or otherwise teachings, I guarantee you, you can weave in to these 12 insights. They'll all fit there. And so it's just a nice container to hold the whole path, the whole spiritual path of awakening. So we're on the third noble truth tonight mostly, but again in the small groups, feel free to talk about whatever is relevant in your practice. And the Buddha says, what is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering? It is the remainderless fading and cessation of that same craving, the rejecting, relinquishing, leaving, and renouncing of it. But whereon is this craving abandoned and made to cease? Wherever there is what seems lovable and gratifying, thereon it is abandoned and made to cease. This is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. Right? That's what we mean by insight. The mind sees something it hasn't seen before. This noble truth must be penetrated, must be realized by realizing the cessation of suffering. This noble truth has been penetrated to by, penetrated to by realizing the cessation of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. So I just want to, I made this point last week, and I think it's useful because it overcomes ideas of escape. we thinking like when we have something difficult in our life, the answer is to escape it. And this has been culturally programmed in us, this idea of transcending what is difficult or messy in life. We have this sense of spiritual life as a trying to transcend what's yucky, get somewhere away from it. And it's not like that way of talking is entirely incorrect, but I think it can be misused, the idea of transcendence. It can reinforce that the problem is me or this experience instead of the misunderstanding of what this is. So, The Buddha is saying that our experience of suffering or stress, where does it arise and where does it dwell? Well, it arises wherever there is an endearing, alluring, gratifying sense experience. That's where suffering arises. And where does it cease? Where do do we actually realize freedom? We realize freedom right with the experience that we would otherwise be grasping. right? So there's an unpleasant experience that's arising in our life. We have a toothache. Or a pleasant experience that's arising in our life. Some, something that we're anticipating, like going on vacation, or, or right now something nice is happening. And the reality of being a stressed out, tight human being Where does that arise? Right with that pleasant or unpleasant experience. And where 
do we realize the cessation of suffering, of grasping, of getting tight, right where there's a pleasant or unpleasant experience? Because it's right there where the mind realizes a way of having that experience without adding anything extra, such as suffering, being tight, some heavy story. We see somebody having a lot of success in life, just the kind of success we'd like to have. You know, they find the perfect partner, or they have such a cool house, or they're so witty and sharp and funny, or they seem so serene, you know, or they're just lovely and graceful and beautiful. And that triggers us in the way that it triggers each of us. You know, if you bring to mind somebody that has what you like. And so we can just, we know this is not uh, a distant experience, how relating to that person who's so great, one way, they're suffering. We feel badly about ourselves. We don't like ourselves in comparison to that other person. And how that feeling badly about herself can cease when the mind catches what it's doing. Oh, oh, I'm grasping, I'm holding to this idea, if only. And it realizes, the mind realizes how toxic that is. That's that second part, the second insight in the second noble truth. This should be abandoned. This isn't helping fixing on the idea, if only I were like that person. This is suffering, right? This should be abandoned. And then it's abandoned. It's like the heart, the mind realizes, I can actually be okay with the way it is, who I am, how I am. I don't have to be tight about it. Right? That's an actual realization. And then that's the... That's the first part of the third noble truth. There is cessation, right? We just stopped dwelling or getting entangled with the idea, if only I could be like that. We put it down. And the mind realizes, there is cessation. My God, that's amazing. I'm no longer doing what I did a moment ago. And then the the next insight, this should be realized. It's it's sort of the, the recognition that Whatever the mind just did, this should be completely integrated, generalized through the entire system of mind. Like, don't construct toxic stories about, like, if only, right? Don't let the mind entangle itself. So that's the next insight. It's like, oh, this, this is the essential move of non-grasping non-attachment. This should be realized. This should be fully integrated into the mind. And then when you're an arahat, fully awake, you can say, it has been realized. Has been fully understood. And there's a way. There's a way to develop it. right? So whatever insight we have, to whatever degree we understand, this should be realized, then we start getting the outlines of the path. Like, well, we purify our actions through this commitment to non-harming. We purify the mind through this commitment of understanding like what, 
qualities of mind are skillful, like compassion and kindness and letting go, renunciation or generosity. And what qualities of mind are not so skillful, like greed and aversion. And we purify the mind and we purify the view. Basically seeing self-view, self-centered view, doesn't work. It's, it's heavy. And whatever not being fixed on self-centered view is, that works. It's releasing. It's free, freeing. So it's really good to ground our practice that it's right here. It's like being a living being, having sense experience, being sensitive to sights and sounds and smells and thoughts and emotions, to all the swirl of what it is to be a sensitive being. It's right here where we realize the experience of being a suffering being and where we realize the freedom. And this is really important to remember because otherwise we think, I can't practice here. But this is exactly where we have to realize freedom, not some imagined place, right? The place to realize non-grasping is right in the experience where we would otherwise be grasping. Does that make sense? It's like, you know, thinking, well, I wouldn't be an angry person or a defensive person if you guys were all different, you know? It's like we we put the problem on the world instead of it's a misplacement where the problem is. It isn't that the world is so irritating. It's that the mind thinks that being irritated at the world leads somewhere wholesome or skillful. So the resolution isn't to have a different world. The resolution is to have a different way of relating to the world of experience. And then when we do that, then actually we know how to take care of everybody. We know the way, how to make the world a better place. Now, I'm not saying that as we're working with the teachers that show up for us, you know, the different life experiences, it's not like we're, you know, we're working with our teachers in the context of being a human being who's trying to make the world a better place. So it's not like, oh, I shouldn't be trying to make the world a better place. It's exactly in that context that life is so messy. So one way or another, we're going to be making the world a better place. It's just a question of whether we're going to become wise along the way. That's the only difference. Because a lot of people think, misunderstand Buddhist practice, what the Buddha taught as, avoiding the messiness, avoiding trying to make the world a better place. But see, the whole point is we're trying to make the world a better place. Some of us are trying to make the world a better place from our perspective by being, you know, having a lot of wealth and protecting ourselves from the craziness of the world. And that's how somebody thinks the world is going to be a better place for them. Other people think the world's going to be a better place if I stop uh, can stop people from starving or, you know, reduce the amounts of injustice, injustices that arise in our society. But the real point is, as our heart engages life, 
we want to be real about it. Somebody, I think it was Mary Beth, told me this morning this quote from Robert Thurman. Some of you know him. He's a well-known Buddhist scholar. He used to be at Columbia. He may be retired now. He's written a number of books recently with Sharon Salzberg. And he had a quote that Mary Beth told me about was, um, Buddhism is the practice of engaged realism. Is that right? Something like that? Yeah, engaged realism. I guess it was from quoted in um, um, On Being, the Krista Tippett's radio program, when he interviewed Sharon and Robert Thurman, Sharon Salzberg and Robert Thurman. So this, we're engaging reality. And it's okay, it's appropriate for us to engage reality in order to make it a better world. And the thing is, everybody is already engaging reality to make it a better world. The difference is what we take reality to be, right? So a relatively ordinary human being takes reality to be their self-centered concerns, like they're viewing their present moment experience through their self-centered concerns because that's the reality. That's what sort of lands on their radar screen, what's important. And somebody who's doing their work to become a more sensitive human being, then their reality is going to reflect the greater degree of sensitivity. So the question is, how sensitive can we become in our life situation? How sensitive are we willing to become in our life situation? How refined can our sensitivity be? How not just deep, but how so wide, broad can our awareness become? So we're not just seeing, but we're intuiting suffering and the end of suffering internally, externally, right? So that our teachers are starting to show up at increased frequency, increased vividness. And so we're, we're consciously, because we're willing to be sensitive, because we're interested in suffering and the end of suffering, and we see the, the inadequacy of the path of not non-awareness as a way to be free of suffering. It's just too much work, and it doesn't work. It's too much work to be unaware, and it doesn't work anyway. It's exhausting. So we go the other way, the path of sensitivity. This is the path of awakening. And so it's such a difficult path because we're consciously saying, I, we're consciously agreeing to give up our safety, which was never real safety anyway. It was sort of an imagined safety of insensitivity, right? being in our little bubbles. And we're letting those bubbles, we're practicing being sensitive so those bubbles start to pop, and we see more and more internally and externally how much suffering there is in and around us, everywhere we look. Even the people who have everything, supposedly, are suffering. Nobody is immune from it. And so, then, the only way to survive with that increasing sensitivity is to practice these Twelve insights. There is dukkha. It's relevant. It's my teacher. I've open. I'm opening to it. 
there is a cause. This activity of mine, which we call attachment, taking things personally, should be abandoned. It's not helping. It has been abandoned. There is that release, that cessation of the mind, not taking things personally. This should be fully realized, fully integrated. It has been fully integrated. There is a way, this way should be developed. This way of being, this way of living should be developed. It has been developed. So we, this is why it's so useful to uh, um, appreciate the messiness of life. Now, sometimes the messiness, the difficulty is overwhelming. And so what we need to do is not move into it, but learn how to increase a sense of safety and stability with the teachers that are already showing up. We don't go looking for more teachers, more difficulties, more uncertainty. We learn how to stabilize ourselves with it. So we bring in compassion. We bring in love. We bring in friendship. People who have gone this way, who have experienced these difficulties before us and have realized some understanding. You know, we listen to a Dharma talk, for example, or talk to a friend who practices. And sometimes we redirect our attention, or not even sometimes, a lot of the times we have to redirect our attention away. This is not the only teacher that's showing up. There's also the spring breeze, the warm sunshine, the sound of the birds, the sensations of the body walking or sitting or moving, the sensations of the body breathing. So there are these other experiences that I can turn to and I can realize the possibility of being sensitive again because there were too many teachers around and I didn't feel safe being sensitive. So I practice being insensitive again. And then I realize this isn't the way. So now I'm redirecting my attention to places in my, in this moment, experiences in this moment that I feel safe enough to be sensitive, vulnerable, awake, let my heart be touched. And then as I trust that more and more, then I invite back the teachers that are showing up, the confusing things, the difficult things. And we know we're, we're having a, a skillful relationship with our teacher when we're seeing the cause. If we're not seeing the cause, if we're not seeing the role of attachment, taking things personally and its correlation with feeling tight and burdened, then we don't have enough we're not clear enough. The mind's not sensitive enough. So then the question is, well, do I, do I need to modify the clarity by bringing in those beautiful emotions of compassion and kindness, appreciation and equanimity, right? The four Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes, as it's, they're called in Buddhism, to help stabilize the mind? Or maybe I need to refresh the mind. I need to turn away from the difficulty for a while and relearn how to be wide open, awake, hands off, and then turn back. And that's really the dance.
in uh, Ajahn Sumedho's chapter on the third noble truth, he says, cessation is the natural ending of any condition that has arisen. So it is not desire. It is not something that we create in the mind, but it is the end of that which began, the death of that which is born. See, this is the important thing about cessation. There is cessation. The mind has to realize that it isn't personal. So that's why when, if you remember when we talked about seeing the cause, oh, there is a cause, the mind is attached. Right now, it might be better to say the mind is attaching, the mind is identified to make it more of an active happening. Right now, the mind is attaching, identifying, taking it personally. Right now, this should be abandoned. That means the mind is being patient with the very unpleasant understanding that this is toxic and should be abandoned. But it doesn't mean the mind is struggling to let go or abandon that attachment. It means it's feeling the unskillfulness of it, of that activity of attaching. It's feeling it and it's feeling it and it letting go happens. It has been abandoned. There is cessation. So cessation is a natural event. Whatever is born ceases. So basically the attachment, the activity of attaching isn't being renewed. And that's what the mind realizes. It's been abandoned. The mind isn't doing it anymore. It was a a natural event. Because attachment is ending all the time. It's not about stopping the attaching, it's realizing that it ends. It's like, I forget who said this, maybe it was Suzuki Roshi about impermanence, which is, you know, very much related to letting go, realizing the impersonal and ephemeral nature of things. Letting, uh, letting go isn't so much about letting go, but knowing that things go away. It's like realizing or understanding that everything does end. Now try that next time you're really caught up with something, really bound up. Try remembering that whatever that is, that dynamic of being really caught, really tied up in something, really angry or full of greed about something, realizing that this thing is so ephemeral that the Cessation is already happening. It just needs to be realized. It's already coming and going. But we're just noticing the coming in of it. The renewing of the attachment and the renewing of the attachment and the renewing. So it feels like I'm attached. It feels like an entity who is attached. Like a solid, permanent me who's bound up. But there's a whole cycle, moment by moment by moment. The attaching... And the ceasing of that attaching. It's, and this is the thing we understand in practice slowly. It's a subtle, it's a subtle insight, but it's transforming to really see that moments cease. Like the Buddha once said, and it's just sort of part of responding to people who ask about, well, what happens at death? 
And the response, an appropriate response is, what happens at death is what happens right now. There is cessation right now. When you read through the text, the Buddha's uh, teachings, as much as anything, he emphasizes having the insight of the impermanence. He's not talking about getting it intellectually. He's talking about really seeing how things end. Now, we know that intellectually, but when the mind actually sees that this moment ends, it's, a, it's literally a death. Like, in order for this moment to be born, the previous moment had to die. It had to literally cease, be no more. You get that? So it can't, you can't have this moment unless the previous moment has ceased. So really seeing this about the experience of attachment and basically any toxic or afflictive pattern in our mind, whatever it might be, you know, being defensive, hating yourself, hating other people, feeling needy, feeling lonely, whatever that bound up state might be for you, if we can see that that state is born and dies, arises and ceases moment by moment, that's the third noble truth. Because then being defensive, being angry, being needy, being lonely, being cold, being whatever your mind, whatever trap or hole your mind falls into, it will never seem the same again because the mind will have realized birth and death of it, that it's a fluid dynamic, not a self. But it appears from you know, being relatively uh, distracted and not so sensitive, it appears like that's a permanent entity when we're bound up in suffering. Like, and so then our strategy to address the suffering comes at it from the point of view as if it were a permanent entity that's suffering. So then we got this long idea about how we're going to address it. Mostly it matter, it means trying to fix the world because this permanent entity, which exists as a permanent entity, needs a better world in order for me to feel safe and stop struggling. So that's why we gravitate because we misunderstand this. But if we get how ephemeral this is, processy this is, then we understand that all we have to do to be free from suffering, all suffering, the suffering of death, the suffering of loss, anything that weighs down the heart, like all the terrible suffering and injustice in the world, the release of that, which, by the way, frees us up to respond to it, to do, actually do something useful, the cessation of that suffering, all the ingredients are right here. It's just about understanding what's right here. We don't need any other ingredient that's not right here. And the whole point of saying like what I just said is it wakes us up like to what's right here. So in your small groups tonight, you can talk about that process of cessation, of sensing that however big the edifice of me being a suffering being, me struggling, me thinking I have problems, me being in a world that's not okay, and it's heavy, 
that like that view gets a little dent or falls away maybe in moments. So talk about that in the small groups. Has that world where suffering and the meanness and heaviness and wrongness of the world, has there ever been any dents? Those of you who back in the day used drugs, <laughs> you know, we, some of us, it's funny where the, these experiences have come. So don't be dismissive of any experience. Like, what, what was that about? Do you trust that experience? The freedom, the fact in that moment that the world didn't seem like the world you used to inhabit. Troublesome, difficult, not the way I want it to be. Because that's the experience of cessation. And then it's a question of developing that trust. So the trust, developing the trust means you're always curious, like, is that true now? So whenever a teacher arises and some sticky life circumstances going on, then that faith comes in, well, what about now? Is that release here too? But I'm just not attuned to it, not paying attention to it looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at the arising and not the ceasing. So, let's just see if I had any other thoughts about the sharing. I'll just leave it there. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.